Thank you for joining the City Growth Church Podcast. Here at CGC, we're a community of imperfect people living in apprenticeship to a perfect God. If you enjoyed today's message, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a brief review to help make this resource more available to your loved ones. God bless you, and let's start tracking together starting with today's message. That should work. Uh, and if you will, Jess, you can go ahead and, and pull up uh, that first set of scriptures. It's probably, you see the G symbol? All right, you got that? Are you in there? All right, there you go. Now you are ready to go. I'm going to read for us uh, our passage of scripture, uh, and then we will uh, kind of dive into the who, uh, the when, the what, the where, the why, right? We'll dive into all the specifics, and then we will begin our uh, exegesis or our study of the book of Revelation. So one thing that we have to, to make known, first and foremost, is that, let's be honest here, it's a room full of honesty. Everybody, raise your hand if you feel like being honest today. And if you feel like lying, raise your hand too, right? <laughs> uh, so who has, admittedly, who has like a preconceived notion about the book of Revelation? Right? Who, who, who has a preconceived notion about the book of Revelation? And who realizes that 99.99999% uh, of the time our preconceived notions are based off of what someone else has told us? Which is why they're notions, right? And they're preconceived, meaning that they're presupposed before you ever even are knowledgeable of it that you have an idea uh, otherwise. So I'm going to start uh, reading the Lord's Scripture together. We'll read all eight verses. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 today. Uh, I'll read them and we'll pray for one another. We'll pray together uh, and then we will really dive into what we're looking at. So it says, this is, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon come to pass. He made it known by sending his angel his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. This is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A lot going on in the very first two verses. Does the one reads aloud the words of this prophecy, blessed are those written in it, because the time is near. Notice that uh, there's a repetition there of verse 3 and verse 1. Verse 4 begins, John, to the seven churches, this is actually the introduction uh, to a, a letter that will run uh, from chapter 1 through chapter 3, and it's addressed to the seven churches. Uh, we'll dive into that a little further in the coming four weeks. Uh, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come. And from this and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the king of, of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has released us from our sins by his blood, who has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was, and is to come. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, we just pray that we go into today's message, God, with just an open heart to receive your word. Lord, to just allow your, your word to just speak to us, God, that we would drop any, any preconceived notions, any, any presuppositions, God, that we would just search you wholly, God, and allow you to, to just speak to us, Lord. And we pray these things in your heavenly, glorious name. Amen. First off, did anybody notice something that seemed kind of interesting about the first 
uh, the first three verses. This is the only book of 66 books of the Bible that has a promise of a blessing. Do you, do you see that? So verse 1 and 2, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon come to pass. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. We also begin to see that there is a, a line of communication, right? There's a very uh, pronounced and direct line of communication that actually still goes and holds true today. And it goes from God the Father, or Yahweh, to Jesus Christ, right, or, or God in the flesh, to an angel, to John, who then passes it on to all believers. Or we will see it written here as uh, a seven church. Whenever you see this, this seven church, we, we think much like the Apostles' Creed. And it seems funny because it says the Catholic Church, right? And then people that don't understand are like, what in the world? The Catholic Church, when it's referenced here, is, in other words, the universe. Churches of the world. Uh, so here in this passage of Scripture, we will begin to see, right, a letter that is written in this moment in time to seven very real very present churches, one of which is the church of Ephesus. This is the biggest church in the world at this time. A lot of people think probably one of the biggest churches ever in the world. Uh, you guys familiar with a young guy named Timothy, right? Paul writes letters to a young pastor named Timothy. So Paul actually plants this church at Ephesus. This church at Ephesus continues to grow. It takes him about three weeks to plant it, right? And then what happens is over this course of these three weeks, he starts to kind of put some things in motion, and then he basically names his heir apparent, which is a young guy named Timothy. Uh, Timothy is actually picked not because of any skill set that, that you know is obvious within him. He's picked basically because of his mother and his grandmother's faith. So people will say, oh, you know, you know, they'll, they'll look at Scripture out of place and say, well, Paul was just a womanizer, or, or Paul, you know, was toxic masculinity. No, some of these verses that you're speaking of, uh, most of the time when, it, when people want to say that about Paul, <clears throat> what it references is that Paul says that, of course, within the church, there are not to be women leaders, right? And women pastors in particular. And when he says this, he's of the pastorate, right? So this is the shepherd. This is the person who receives the word from God and then passes it on to the people. What you have to understand is the word of God is, first and foremost, inspired. Right? The Word of God is God-breathed, meaning God put it into very fallible men, and possibly women if you have different ideas of who wrote the book of Hebrews. Right, But uh, <laughs> this is the, the, the infallible Word of God, meaning the, the perfect, unable-to-be-broken Word of God that was put into fallible men or imperfect men right, or imperfect women. <clears throat> So whenever we, we see this, and you want to kind of get these negative connotations of Paul, understand that he is just a messenger, right? Do you get mad at the mail? I mean, maybe you do. Do you get mad at the mailman when he brings bad news? A logical person does not get mad at the mailman because he brings bad news, right? Because he is just the deliverer. In this term and in this sense, Paul is, in fact, a deliverer. Uh, so the biggest church, in, probably definitely in that time, but maybe in, in the world, uh, is this church of Ephesus. It's one of the very first churches uh, that this letter is actually written to. So we'll kind of pick up, and as you see very clearly uh, from the first uh, three verses, you can kind of get uh, an idea, but then verse 4 makes it very clear. We see that verse 4 starts with John to the seven churches. So this addresses who our, our author actually is. A lot of historical theologians, two of the biggest historical theologians, uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, both attempted to, to question the canonicity or the, uh, the author authority of the book of Revelation, meaning that well, it, doesn't, it doesn't match up, right? And it doesn't belong there. Very clearly... We, we don't have to go any 
any further than the first four bo- the first ver- four verses of the book of Revelation to see it's written by John, and we see that it was the revelation of who? Verse one, Jesus Christ. Everybody together for a second. That's enough to not question the book of Revelation right there. Right. This is from John. This is the same John who on uh, the night of the Last Supper. Supper put his head onto the bosom or the chest of Jesus, right, to just feel the heartbeat, to feel the voice of Jesus. This is the same John the Beloved who refers to himself as the disciple whom John loved, or who Jesus loved, rather, right? So we have the author being John, uh, and there are actually, I believe, four different. Uh, it, Charles Ryrie called it the ist. There's preterist, there's futurist, historist, right? There's these crazy, uh, you know, very theologically in-depth ideas of why and when the book of Revelation was written. Uh, personally, with our context clues, with historical data in place, we, myself, I look at this as a futurist view, which means that, that John really did write this at present time, which would have been about the year 90 to 96, somewhere in that uh, time frame A.D. And he really did write it to those present churches. Uh, There's what's called a preterist view, which says that it was written between 60 and like 66 uh, A.D. And historically that proves to be inaccurate because uh, the church at Rome has not fallen yet, right? So... With history in, in place and with our context clues, anybody remember like early education? If you didn't understand a word or you didn't understand what was going, what were you supposed to do? Use your context clues, right? So we can use our context clues to start to decipher what seems like a lot going on in a very short period of time here. So the book of Revelation, we'll see now, was written by John somewhere between in our in our, the way that we will uh, receive this word, between 90 and 96 A.D. It was written on the island of Patmos. All right, so you guys are like, man, he was just chilling out on an island, right? Receiving revelation from God? No, so that's not how it worked. Uh, anybody ever seen pictures of the island uh, out at Alcatraz? Have y- you ever seen what leads to Alcatraz? What, what is it? A bunch of stones. Why? Because this kept ships from coming in, right? But it also kept people from getting out. Uh, so the island of Patmos at that point in time was literally a penal prison camp. This is where like the worst of the worst criminals ended up. You know why John is here? One of the reasons is they attempted to, to boil him, right? Yeah, oh yeah. You thought John, like, John is the only apostle who didn't die a martyr's death. Personally, I think because divine providence, right? And we needed the canon to be closed with the book of Revelation. God makes everything work together for very specific reasons. So John needed to literally go through everything that he went through in order to be in a position to receive the word of God in the way that it came to him. It's the same with our lives. We go through everything that we go through to be in very specific places to receive a very specific revelation of God. All right, here's let's look at something else. Every time I say the word revelation, does some people's skin kind of crawl? If it does, you are looking at a modernist view of the book of Revelation. A modernist view takes this word revelation, right, and turns it into a negative connotation. Uh, Anybody ever heard of an apocalyptic event, right? So some people said that COVID-19, right, this was an apocalyptic event. Uh, before that, people looked at the events of, uh, of 9-11 as an apocalyptic event, right? And people will always look at certain things as apocalyptic events. And since the history of the world, before Jesus, have looked at things as apocalyptic events. The word revelation we have attached to this negative connotation of basically a world-ending, world-shattering event, right? It's not what it was written in this context. How are we to receive the Bible? How it was written in original context and then apply it to our lives. Not apply our lives to Scripture and read it to fit our narrative. Does that make sense to everybody? 
So the book of Revelation, we'll continue to build this, is written by John, John the Beloved. Who's ever heard, remember an, an old blues song, John the Revelator? You know this song? John is actually not the Revelator. Who is, who is the Revelator? Does anybody want to take a wild guess? It's the answer that, like, you, you can always say this answer in Sunday school, and you're always right. Jesus. Jesus is the Revelator. Uh, so we have John written in uh, what would be off of the coast of present-day Turkey. The island is still there. Who knows that everything gets, anything with any kind of attention is going to get turned into a tourist attraction. Do you guys understand that? Randy, Michelle, do you all remember Charleston 20 years ago? was much different even so than what Charleston is now. Remember Folly Beach 20 years ago. You would not recognize current Folly Beach compared to 20, 30 years ago Folly Beach. So this island of Patmos, and the way that you would see it today, is not Patmos in the way that John was there. The island of Patmos is literally all stones, not like little rocks, I mean giant stones that would have made it uncomfortable to live. Why? Because there's nowhere to lay, right? There's no trees. There's none of that. So you're just getting beat down by the sun while you're forced to work, right, in hot, rugged conditions. Uh, people in today's world would call this inhumane conditions. So anybody ever heard of, of Guantanamo Bay? Remember this? Before it was shut down? Like, People were like, oh no, you can't treat people that way. The prisoners of Patmos, I'm not being funny, but they would laugh at the conditions of Guantanamo. But they have a bed? <laughs> I'll settle for a bed. They get, they get fed? Yeah, I'll settle for that. John would have been literally surviving on the morsels that he could find, whether it be just these baby crabs that he could find in the rocks, worms of the sand. John was literally living a prisoner life. If you'll look at, you don't have to flip, I'll read for you. I'll read from the book of Psalm, and David actually speaks in Psalm 22, verse 6. He says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. This was the life that Jesus took on, right? The lowest of low, despised by all men. This is the current life that John is living on the island of Patmos. He is the lowest of low, not treated as a, as a person, but rather as literally as a prisoner. So we have John, the prisoner, on the island of Patmos between 90 and 96 why is the book of Revelation, right? You, you guys kind of want to start digging into a little further. Uh, so the, the book of Revelation is actually addressed to seven very real, actual churches. And Revelation begins with the letters from Christ himself to these churches. Who's the Revelator? Jesus Christ. So it's a letter from Jesus. Who did, who did Jesus receive the letter from? God, right? Like, okay, here we go. God puts the word into Jesus. Jesus then delivers this word to an angel. The angel then delivers this word to John. And as if it wasn't enough and enough to get his attention, Jesus will become very real and very much in the mind and the presence of John here on the island of Patmos. So much so that the portion of Revelation that you probably look at and go, it's like, I've made this joke before, guys, but it's like, the anybody remember Encanto? You don't talk about Bruno? Well, like the book of Revelation is the, is the Bruno of the Bible. Right? We don't talk about Bruno. But we see in verse 4, this is actually a blessing to read aloud and to hear and receive. The book of Revelation is a blessing. It blesses the speaker and the hearer. So the angel was blessed to be able to was blessed to be able to receive the word and pass it on to the churches. If you came for Revelation and you came for the creepy stuff, we're not there yet, okay? I know, I know why you're here, guys. So it's a very real letter written to seven very real churches, one of which, it, it's like if, if this was to be faked, right? 
if this whole thing was to be faked, would you write this letter to the seven biggest churches? No, you would write it to Obscura. You would write it to, in other words, to people that no one had ever heard of, right, who can bear false witness of these things. No, Jesus, oh my shot. When he points right and he calls his shot, this is Jesus calling the shot. He's saying, I'm going to tell you exactly what is to happen, how it is to happen, when it will happen. He calls his shot. We come along with a very long series of very unusual uh, judgments. And they all utilize something that is very uh, symbolic language. Why? Because culture fades. Anybody remember bell bottoms? Probably less than a quarter of the room remembers bell bottoms. It'll come back around, right? But for a time, culture fades, right? If I, like, if you guys, kids, if y'all could see some of the things that even little baby me was getting dressed up in in the early 90s, y'all would be like, I don't think that that was ever in. Well, maybe you're right, but you can take that up with my mom. But culture fades, right? But if Jesus portrays this to John with symbology, all right, hold on a second. Do not take symbology or symbolism and compare that to allegory. Does that make sense? No, I'll explain, okay? So symbology or symbolism is... Basically, is God being able to speak things, but with, with objects and items that will never change. A trumpet is always going to be a trumpet, right? Everybody agree? A seal is always going to be a seal. No matter what form it comes in, right? It will always be. If, if Jesus wrote this, right now, what's the thing? Text messaging and email, right? If it was wrote in, com- in, in modern concept, then in 150 years when text messages and email is laughable because nobody knows what you're talking about, then it becomes lost, right? It's lost in translation. But if Jesus speaks very clearly, good, Jesus speaks very clearly in symbolism of things that do not fade, that do not change, and stay present for all days, right? If, if Jesus uses this method then the word of God does not fade. It does not change. It does not lessen. All right? So we have fantasy, right? We have prophecy. We have symbolism. We have this idea of allegory. All these ideas going on, right? So it's not written, again, as fantasy. So this is not uh, an H.P. Lovecraft, like, crazy sci-fi novel. This is not... Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, where it's written with things that really don't mean what they say to mean. It's not written by C.S. Lewis as an allegory in the form of the Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan does, in fact, represent Christ, but it's never stated, right? No, Jesus means what he says, and he speaks in a very specific way of symbolism so that it will never be lost in translation. It will stand the test of time. If Jesus had said, watch this, we're going to lose the kids. If Jesus had said, I'm going to reveal all this to you, we're going to put it on a VHS and you'll have it forever. The kids would never receive the revelation of God. Right? They don't even know what a DVD is. Like, we're lost past that. They're like... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Okay, bud. All right. God bless you, brother. All right, that was... All right, so we're back, right? We're back into, we're back into the Word of God. Uh, so Jesus didn't speak, right, through, through mortal men as mortal instruments, Right? He spoke with symbology that would stand the test of time. And he used as his vessel, it's okay kids, drugs are bad, okay? 
well, I'm, you need to know that. Uh, so he speaks very specifically for a very, through a very specific set of, of, of people, right? And, and we have authorship of the 66 books of the Bible or the canon of the Bible, right? So with this comes a long uh, idea of symbolism or visions of judgment of end times, right? That's probably why you guys came. When you heard about Revelation, you're like, I came for that. We'll get there. It, it's, not as, it's not as crazy and, and twisted and whew, as you think it is, okay? We'll, we'll make it all make sense. So in the book of Revelation, Jesus asserts himself as the King of kings, right? And the Lord of lords, Bringing to an end the rebellion of humanity. Who knows that the story from the beginning is this idea of rebellion. Do, do I need to take you to, to Genesis 1 and show you how long it takes us to start to become and then how long it takes us once we become to become wicked? A chapter and a half. There's a lot more Bible there than a chapter and a half, right? So basically the Bible is this, is this rescue story of us, how quickly we are lost amongst ourselves to ourselves, and then how quickly Jesus is able to turn it all around just by his, his coming to the earth and dying a sinner's death on our behalf. He ushers in this new heaven and this new earth. Uh, as we've built... Uh, on our teaching here, you know, we've, we've referred to bringing heaven down, right? Far too many people live to bring hell up. If you don't believe it, I mean, we see it. I'm not, like, God uses very specific things to show you. I'm just going to speak on it, right? We'll address the elephant in the room. I'm not being funny and I'm not being judgmental, but a drunk person comes in. Seriously, a drunk person comes in and is so lost in their thoughts and in the world that they can't understand the Word of God. That is sad. That's the, that is God giving us a wake-up call, if I've ever seen one. How lost are you in the world? Right? We're, we're, I'm not being funny, guys. We're in a prophetic book, and God sends us a prophetic messenger. He will not remember in two hours coming into here Right, But we'll never forget that because we saw how lost and how easy it is to get lost in the world. Why are we studying the book of Revelation? That right there. I don't want that to happen to our people. That you become a cog in a machine, right? And then the, the, the bane of your existence is first breath to last breath. And that's all it means. I don't want that for anyone. That's why we're studying the book of Revelation. Revelation is a unique is unique in the fact that it's it's actually one of the only books comprised of multiple writing styles. We have apocalyptic literature, apocalypsis. We'll we'll, we'll expand on that. We have prophecy. If I say that, then you understand what that is, right? And then it is also written in the form of a letter. Revelation comes from the word apocalypsis or apocalyptico, right? We draw our English word apocalypse and almost completely change the meaning of this Greek root. Apocalypse does not actually mean the end time or some cataclysmic, world-ending, world-shaking event, right? Apocalypse literally means an unveiling or a disclosure, Right? For, for something that was hidden to be made revealed. Revelation. Uncovering or revealing of a hidden meaning. Between, if, if you're like scared and freaked out by Revelation, let me, let me just make this a little worse for you. <laughs> Between 20 and 25% of the Bible at the time of its writing was prophetic in nature. In other words, it told of something that was not yet to occur. 
the number grows even more staggering if you just look at the Old Testament. It becomes like 66%. Between 66 and 70% of the Old Testament is prophetic in nature. It speaks of something that is to later come. Out of 404 total verses in the book of Revelation, 360 directly quote or allude to the Old Testament. So you're, you're not freaked out by the Old Testament, but you're freaked out by the book of Revelation because you heard some guy standing on a street corner yelling, the end is nigh, right? Or you had some crazy uncle who wanted to, to off-wing his conspiracies to you, right? Like this is where we get bad theology. This is where we get bad doctrine from. It's not actually consulting but consulting someone else's take on the word. And not even qualified sources, guys. We'll trust any wind that blows to provide for us the sustenance of the word of God. But we wonder why we get it wrong. God speaks heavily in symbolism as symbolism, we've, we've discussed, outlives cultural quotes or jargon. Right? This unraveling that John gains insight to was not his first time, right? This wasn't the first time that God unravels and unveils something that is otherworldly to John. Are you familiar with the Mount of Transfiguration? So Jesus actually takes Peter, James, and John, right? These are James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, not his brother, James. This would be John's brother, James. Right? Uh, he takes them on the Mount of Transfiguration back in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. And he actually unveils to them a discovering, right, where they see prophets of old, where they see Elijah, where they see Moses. And literally the face of Jesus is transformed or transfigured. He reveals to them something that was otherwise hidden. John at authorship is about 90 years old, living in a penal substitution, penal uh, prison camp. So he is a prisoner for speaking the word of God. Not for what he does, but for what he says. Anybody, little little spoiler alert, anybody remember why Jesus was, was killed? It wasn't for what he did, it was for what he said. If you speak truth, if you speak life, you will forever be persecuted. We have to stop looking at persecution as a punishment, Right? Persecution can be one of your greatest areas of strengthening if you let it. Do you think that John, on this revelation, sees this and goes, I just feel so punished for being out on this, on this island being beaten without food? No, he goes, he, he feels actually revealing to him, right? He feels more in tune than he ever has with the will of God as this is revealed to him. Revelation, and it's th this. If you want something to take home with you, Revelation in its purest form, it tells who Jesus is. This will start to look familiar to you in the form of practice in the way. It tells who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what he will continue to do. The opening, verses 1 through 8, and the closing. Verses 6 through 21 of chapter 22 reveal things as they are and promise that Jesus is coming soon. People will ask, well, when? That's not for us to ask. Right? That's like the best, that's the best answer you can ever give somebody. Right? That just leaves them feeling so informed. Well, when, when is it going to happen? We don't know. Why? Because Scripture speaks that one day is like a thousand to God, and a thousand years is but one day to God. So our concept and our construct, this linear idea of time, does not, it's not compatible with, with God. Do you understand that? We made that in order for us to keep track of, quote-unquote, time. 
right? The seven, the letters are addressed to seven churches in the world. This is verse uh, 9 of chapter 1 through verse uh, 22 of chapter 3 and are matched by the concluding depiction of the church in glory in the new heaven and the new earth. In other words, the picture that Jesus begins to illustrate with the seven churches are meant to symbolize the perfection that comes in the new heaven and the new earth with the universal church. Why seven churches, right? I know you're wondering that. Seven represents the number of completion. Seven is a recurring theme. It occurs something like 50 or 52 times in the book of Revelation. This idea, this construct of seven. Seven, seven, seven. So the seven churches actually represent one universal church. Uh, What's really incredible uh, is in verse 4 and in verse 8, we see the use of an idiom. Uh, And it actually says that, To the seven churches of the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and is to come. And then it repeats again in in verse 8. And it says, says the Lord who is and was and is to come. I know that you may look at this and, and try and figure out, right, what, what's going on here? What is this? This has to be, to be important if it repeats itself. So within this idea and within this construct, there was a modern idiom or a modern saying in their time uh, of pagan worship, which was that Zeus was, Zeus is, and Zeus will be, Right? Does that sound familiar to exactly what God is saying? No, no, no. Zeus thinks he is, right? Zeus thinks he was. Zeus only thinks that he will be. Do you remember how Jesus, God addresses himself to Moses, rather, in the wilderness? He says, I am who I am, right? I am the I am. Notice the, the repetition here with our our, our tackling of, of, of overstepping and showing true superiority to the pagan worship. It says, he was, he is, and he is to come. We'll, we'll go through again and look at, uh, I want to show you three different passages of Scripture that really lead us into these first eight verses of the book of Revelation. The first uh, if you're a note taker, again, these all get put into the, the, you know, the group afterwards. But if you're a note taker, uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, to announce and to show us that Jesus is qualified to make the claims that he is making here in the first eight verses of the book of Revelation. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How can God destroy the heavens and the earth? Because that's what he's promising to do, right, in the book of Revelation. How can he do that? Because he made it. It's his. Now the earth was formless and void. Here's the great part. When he destroys it, he doesn't leave us hanging, guys. He has something better than we could ever imagine. The new heavens and the new earth. Are you familiar with this, this, this teaching from the book of Isaiah of the throne room? And we see that the angels in the throne room literally live to worship God. Anybody know what they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they say. All day, every day. And that's enough for them. So what we do here doesn't, it 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 fails in comparison. It pales in comparison to what heaven will look like in eternity. What the new heaven and the new earth will look like. Now the earth was formless and void. This is still Genesis chapter 1. And darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Here in the very beginning, we will have people say, people will try and tell you, oh, I can debunk Christianity because the Trinity is not even mentioned. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Right? It doesn't make you question that the Bible exists. It may not be spoken as a Trinity, because this is a modern interpretation. But the idea is there. In the very beginning, we have the word whew, spoken into the world. Right? We have pneuma. You guys remember the Greek word study of this word? Whew, pneuma. It's breath or it's spirit. So we have, literally we have God whew, 
breathing his son into the world and creating and watching guard over everything, we have the Holy Spirit just, wa- just, just watching over the void, right? It's just, it's just floating over the waters, just watching God's creation as it still does today, as he still does today, guys. The Holy Spirit both lives inside of you and watches over everything that we have and protects us and leads us along this path of providence to be in just the right place at just the right time to accomplish the will of God. Again, we can go back to the illusion. The illustration that was given to us, right? Undoubtedly, bad choices have led him to the place he is today, right? But maybe, just maybe, we can hope that in the, the, the couple minutes he sat with us that he heard the word of God. I don't think he did, but providence brought him to us, guys. Providence brought him in here. The will of God brought him in here. Not that you would look at him in judgment and say, oh, as long as I don't end up like him, I've, I've, done, I've, you know, I've done what I need to do. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. Judge yourself on this one and say, what one choice puts me in the same shoes that he wears? Any of us? Any of us. I've, I've, trust me, I've been about as close as you get. Any of us, one choice can separate us. Right? Between where other people live... And not for you to to look at them in judgment, but to you to evaluate yourself and say, am I living in the will of God? If you ask yourself that question, am I living in the will of God, and you can't definitively, without question, right, say yes to this, you really need to look at your life. You really need to evaluate your decisions. This is a revelation through signs. Verse 2 shows us that he proclaims what he sees as the word of God. It's God-breathed, God-inspired. And this is the testimony of the Holy Spirit proclaimed by Jesus and reiterated to the angel of the Lord, spoken to John who spoke it to us. Y'all ever seen, what is it, Seven Degrees to Kevin Bacon, right? You're familiar with this concept where any seven people like are linked. You can connect any seven people and get to any other person in the world. Well, in this context, where one, two, three, the fourth person is God the Father. Here's the really great part. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we don't have to... We don't have to have a mediator anymore. We can speak directly to God the Father. We can bring our prayers to God the Father. We can bring our, our, our thanksgiving to God the Father. We no longer need a priest as a mediator. Jesus has bridged that gap. This is the only book of Scripture that actually opens and promises a blessing. If you take nothing else away from this, it's that you can read this book aloud to be blessed. You can hear this book read to be blessed. And you can keep his word to be blessed. Verse 3 shows us, I'm sure people wonder, I I know you wonder how we went directly from the Sermon on the Mount, right, to the book of Revelation. You're like... Don't know how that one works, but you know, good luck figuring that one out. You don't have to go very far. Verse 3. Y'all ready for this? Let's look at verse 3 real quick. Verse 3 told us, blessed. Does that word look familiar to you guys? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and obey or to keep what is written because the time is near. All right, blessing, right? To speak a blessing. And I know your, your wheels are starting to turn, right? And you're, you're like, well, I feel like this is familiar, but uh, why don't you remind us for, uh, for Nevaeh's sake, right? Not, not for my own, you know. 
But for Nevaeh, let's let's look at this thing one more time. Remember how your Sermon on the Mount started? Something called the Beatitudes. You remember that? Just say yeah. I'm going to read it to you so it'll be familiar again. So Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 3 through 12. It says, blessed, makarios is the Greek word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want you guys to really hold on to the Beatitudes as we study the book of Revelation. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What was John doing out on Patmos? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. If you read the book of Revelation, really believe it, right? If you really live it out, people will insult you. They will persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Guys, does that sound familiar? Like maybe even this morning? (laughs) Rejoice and be glad. What are we to do when we're faced with persecution? Rejoice and be glad. What are we to do when we're insulted? Rejoice and be glad. What are we to do when people falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of him? Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets. You will be persecuted just like prophets of old. I'm going to conclude in prayer for us really quick. Pray and then we're going to read another verse, another passage of scripture that comes from the book of Daniel. Uh, and I hope that you'll take it with you as well uh, and really begin to, to see literally the revelation of Jesus that is occurring. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful, Lord, to be able to come together and gather in your word, God, to just be able to gather together. Lord, and just to celebrate your word, proclaim your word together, study your word together, Lord. I just pray that you'll continue to use the book of Revelation, Lord, to just reach our hearts, to touch our minds and our spirits, God, and to lead us on your heavenly, glorious way. I just pray that you'll just continue to use us, Lord, and keep keep safe those who are able to make it today in person, Lord, and also to touch with healing hands those who are not able to make it today, Lord, that sickness has reached their house, God. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 7, if you really want like, to see the book of Revelation without reading 22 chapters, go to Daniel chapter 12. When you get home, read Daniel chapter 12. That's, that's gonna, anybody ever, don't lie, me and Alex, I know we're going to be together on this one. Anybody ever use Cliff Notes instead of reading the real book? Can I be honest with you? Oftentimes it didn't save you any time, Right? And not only did it not save you any time, I I feel like the teachers also read the cliff notes, right? And it intentionally did not include anything that came from the cliff notes. So I tell you this, that you'll read Daniel chapter 12, right? Not as an abridged cliff note, but as, we'll continue to speak of it, symbolism for what you'll see occur in the book of Revelation. With that, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, In my vision, in the night I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man. Anybody know Jesus' most common? Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and was led into his presence. Daniel literally... A thousand years before Jesus, right? Sees Jesus post-ascension when he goes to God the Father. And he was given dominion, 
glory and kingship. That the people of every nation and every language, the, the Greek word here, this is in Hebrew, but the Greek word will look familiar to you as ethnos or every ethnicity, right? That every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion or a kingship that will not pass away and his kingdom or his dominion is one that will never be destroyed. As we continue to, to study and you see this idea of the new heaven and the new earth play out, right? You'll, you'll kind of wonder, like, was I just, is he destroying? No, he's making new. Anybody ever seen a remodel? Randy, I know you've seen a remodel happen, right? There, there's different kinds of remodels, but the kind of remodel that, 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 that God is literally doing for us is, is bones up. So in other words, the, the frame, right? It's everything is stripped down to the frame and then built anew. God uses the foundation. He uses the bones and the structure of what we have, what is so beautiful in this world, right? And makes it anew. And what we get and what we receive from God the Father in that day is so much better than this shell of what we see now. God says, for yours is the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. I do pray that you'll continue to come back with us next week uh, as we study, continue our study of the book of Revelation. Next week we look at the, the conclusion uh, of chapter 1, look at verses, uh, p- pick it up at verse 9, verse nine and go through the end. Uh, if you're wondering, yes, we really will read and study every single word of the book of Revelation uh, over the next 30 to 34 weeks. Why? Because it was spoken very clearly here that blessed is the one who reads aloud, blessed is the one who hears, and blessed is the one who keeps. So, did you already end it, Jess? Working on it now.